Hey, this is Japan Nick starting off the night. I've got uh, New York City's Tim Barr on my program tonight. I've had him on my show twice before singing for Father and Son. Tonight is meant to promote his solo work. Now, Tim, what other bands have you been in besides Father and Son? Uh, repeat yourself. Hello, yes. Nicholas. Um, what other bands have I been in? I'm, I've been in a bunch of bands. Throw out some names, man. First one was called Recluse. That was my first band. And then um, right now I'm in like four bands. Um, my solo thing, Silverbird, which has now become a band. Then Father and Son. Then uh, I'm in a jazz band called the Bar Sinister Jazz Group. And I've been playing with this girl, Charlie Dane, as well. I see. Now, what is the catalyst, or what was the catalyst to compose a solo album this year? Uh, well, basically, I didn't really do it on purpose. I just kind of had these songs, and I recorded a few of them. And uh, I found this guy whose uh, name is Chris Harris, and he um, he's in this really great band called Storybooks that I love. And um, so he lived in London. And I, I wanted to just get his feedback on some of my stuff, so I sent it to him, and he really, really liked it, and he offered to come to New York and record it. So I was like, hell yeah. Wow. How much did you know about this guy before sending an email to him? I really knew nothing about him, and we didn't even talk except for email until he arrived. He landed in JFK. <laughs> wow. Like, I never even talked to him on the phone or anything. Um, so it was really like kind of like a, what is it called? Um, like a leap of faith on both of our parts, I guess. But it was cool. It worked out really well. We had a really good time. It was a really good experience for me. and Yeah, I really liked it. Now, how about we check out your uh, song Silverbird okay. to start off the night?
Now, Tim, yeah. that's the title track mm -hmm. to your solo project. What is, what's, what is Silver Bird supposed to mean? I, to I you? really don't know. I can't tell you. I, <laughs> it's just one of those things that kind of came out of nowhere, and uh, I don't know. Just thought it was kind of a cool image, you know. Did you like just see some bird? Uh, originally, actually, that song was called "L.A. Nights," actually, and that was. It, the, it went, uh, instead of saying Silver Birds, I would say L.A. Nights. And, uh, but then I, I don't know, suggested by the producer to kind of like try something else. So then I came up with Silver Bird. thought it was kind of interesting. Did you make completely different lyrics? No, no, basically just changed that one lyric. Just to kind of like make it a little more mysterious, I guess. I see. Yeah. I mean, I, that song was inspired when I went out to L.A. like a year ago, so. How long did you get to stay in L.A.? I was there for like three or four days. It was really cool. Have you been? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, nine. Yeah? Did you like it? Um, yeah. So some I didn't concerts? Like, I didn't like it at first at all until we were driving. I was with my one of my closest friend uh, friends. He lives out there now, and I was driving down the road and originally like the first day or two I was kind of like man this place is just a glorified strip mall you know and then <laughs> but then you know it was kind of like uh, dusk out and um, he put on the Elvis serious Elvis station <laughs> <laughs> and after just listening and looking through the eyes like of Elvis kind of <laughs> <laughs> and that music and that place, it just changed the whole vibe for me. And then after that, I really, really dug it. What types of areas of L.A. were you uh, cruising around? We went all over. I don't really remember the names too much. Venice Beach, I know. Like downtown L.A. Uh, Hollywood? Hollywood. Yeah, Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood's, West Hollywood's the most fun for me. Yeah. It's just got, it's like just got this strange energy there, you know? This kind of like... It's this very sort of glittery exterior, but there's this kind of griminess going on underneath it that makes it cool. Yeah. I guess that's <laughs> that's what made so many of the music uh, mm -hmm. from the 1980s in L.A. All your so favorite amazing. bands are from there, right? A good number, but also 
Dallas, Texas, I love too. GNRs from LA though, aren't they? Yeah, Hollywood. Right, right, right. But so did you go on like a Guns N' Roses pilgrimage out there? Was that the purpose or Um, it was kind of like just one of those things like cuz I'm a metalhead, I need to see LA. I just need to go. Yeah. Um, I head up Amoeba Records. I think I blew about a hundred or two hundred dollars there. Um, I don't regret that. <laughs> nice man. Um, I remember just walking around in the record store, finding, and actually, uh, the original pressing of Body Count with the song "Cop Killer" on it. It wasn't like "Freedom of Speech," like which is the crappy version. You got to get like with the original, you know? Okay. And I remember just walking around LA with my CD player and I think I was listening to the body count anthem and 20 police cars went zooming by and it was so awesome it was like I'll I'll be I'm sorry to say this but it'll never ever ever be as cool as that one day just (laughs) because nothing ever no but I mean like you're listening to like this insane song and 20 squad cars are zooming by and it just it makes the song so much cooler. Yeah, that sounds pretty neat. I mean, that was just magic. And also, had to go to so many different hamburger places like Fat Burger, In-N-Out, Carl's Jr. And also, keep in mind, they sell the Rodeo Burger out in L.A. and Texas. Have you been to Shake Shack in the city? Not yet. I think you'd like that place. I really like Burger House, but it, it was kind of like... Yeah, I know. I remember. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It's like you can't have a restaurant and only have 10 or 20% of the tables be occupied at all times. It needs to at least be 50 to 70% of the tables at all times. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to pay the rent. Yeah. Now, like, for Silver Bird, mm-hmm. did you actually write that song when you were in L.A. or was it just kind of like a memory no, I don't know. I just I kind of wrote it when I got back, I guess. But I didn't, you know, I didn't do it on purpose or anything. It just kind of came out that way. Is that the way most of your songwriting is? It just yeah. like you don't know when it'll happen. It's just like it hits you and you need to like get out a pen or like yeah, a, a recorder or something. Yeah, I mean, I never like sit down and go, "Okay, today I'm going to write a song about a girl or I'm going to write a song about being in LA or whatever." I just feel like you know, you go about your life and all these things happen and they somehow, we all kind of collect them into our psyches, you know. And um, and then, you know, sometimes it just comes out in music, in a song or whatever. And it's really cool when that happens. The best is when it just happens, like, all at once and the whole song kind of just comes out in one shot. I think that was one of those songs. Um, but a lot of times it'll just be okay. It'll just be sort of like a fragment like a beginning part and I'll be like okay that's an interesting idea and then I'll record it and then I'll go back and listen to it and try to come up with a part after or something like that you know what kind of influences did you draw upon to write this album um well some of the a lot of these some of these songs actually most of these songs most of these songs are pretty new um like I wrote them recently so I really couldn't I really couldn't tell you you know I guess um like I, I, I guess, like I just said, it kind of just comes from from living. And I deal, I think I deal with a lot of my like emotions or pain or whatever through writing music. It's definitely through playing music, you know. Like it's definitely like something that's a release for me, something that um, really helps me. So, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you like better, like actually being on stage and playing the music or like sitting down and writing it? Definitely like probably sitting down and writing it. That's my favorite thing. I just like to be, yeah, I love being in my room and, and working on writing stuff and um, or even just recording, you know, I like that too. What is the ambience like in your room where you like to write your music? Uh, I had a friend over the other day, and he said it was like Florida circa 1970s. I, my apartment <laughs> my apartment came furnished. So I originally was going, I went out to Long Island um, to go to school, and I was looking for apartments, and I just, every apartment was uh, really disgusting, like cigarette butts everywhere. And it was just nasty. And... Uh, and then finally, at the la- at the end of the day, I walked into this place, and it was just this really cool, really like weird '80s kind of feeling. <laughs> but it was not—I don't know—it's just nice. I really like it there. I've been there for like four or five years, and it's very like comfortable, chill. Wow. Yeah. What area of New York is it? It's in Long Island. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, Huntington Station. Yeah. Tell me the story of just. Tell me more about. Like, the first time when you were working with your producer? Well, like I said, it was kind of strange because we had never met before or even talked on the phone or anything. <laughs> so <laughs> so we just he just kind of showed up, and he was super jet-lagged, and we came back to my house in Long Island. We had a day or two before we went into the studio, and then, um, and then uh, we just kind of went in there, and we kind of had to learn how we worked as we went. You know, and we sort of butted heads a little bit in the beginning. Um, the first few days were kind of tough, but then we we got into a groove and it, it went well after that. Yeah, it was cool. What were the things that you butted heads about? The metronome. <laughs> that yeah. was one of the things. Um, Did the metronome? That was pretty win? much no. Well, you know, uh, man, we kind of had to work around it a little bit. Uh, How'd you do that? It's really tough. I hate that stupid thing. It's the worst, and uh, I really regret. I regret using it at all, uh, and I'll never use a metronome <clears throat> on any of my recordings ever again, probably. Um, but you know, I it was like a solo album, so I played. <clears throat> I played all the instruments for the most part, except for um, I had my friend Cliff come in and play drums on a couple tracks, but. A lot of the tracks I played drums on and stuff, and um, you know, it just made it it made it difficult to, to try to do it without a metronome. Um, so it was challenging for me because I'm really sensitive to the way like timing sounds. Be- only because I studied with this guy Mike Longo, who's this like genius jazz pianist, who um, played with Dizzy Gillespie for 16 years, and he taught me a lot of um, really amazing things concerning uh, time and stuff with like African rhythms and polymetric timing and and stuff like that so that has kind of gotten ingrained in me that kind of way of feeling time like in a jazz more of a jazz sense uh, which would be more of like a circular rhythm as opposed to a linear more of a circular feeling as opposed to a linear feeling which is the way that I think a metronome sounds so um, so I had to just, when we were, certain songs we didn't use a metronome, probably half of them we didn't use a metronome, and then the ones we did, I just had to make sure that the beat was able to just still feel okay to me, you know. Typically with jazz music, 
Can you get away with not using a metronome a lot more than standard like rock and pop music? I don't think you should use a metronome for anything, personally. My favorite out, like my favorite stuff, is they're clearly not using a metronome, you know, like, and um, especially. Well, I mean, when it comes to jazz, to use a metronome is is really, um, really ridiculous, honestly. And Why? Because um, <clears throat> because it's impossible to play that kind of music with a metronome. Like literally, if you're playing it correctly, it's just impossible to play with a metronome because the time is it's because uh jazz in particular is played to a pulse and the metronome is not really a pulse it's a mechanical sort of clicking you know whereas a pulse is more of a heartbeat rhythm so it's like to play jazz you're trying to sort of play to your heartbeat you know and there's a certain amount of polymetricity that goes on that um, is really important when it comes to playing like the accents correctly and stuff like that. And if you practice with a metronome, usually people that do, you can hear that their accenting is wrong. It's just, um, you know, and also the time is not, doesn't have the depth near, because music should fluctuate. It, it should breathe, you know, it needs to, it needs to be human. And this idea of a metronome is this mechanical device which dehumanizes it and uh, I don't know where all of a sudden the idea came that that is good or that that's correct um, because I, I don't think it is you know if you were to go to you know to any kind of spiritual thing that incorporates music like um, any kind of spiritual cer ceremony and you were try to try to tell them to play to a metronome you know like nat in like Native American tribal music or African tribal music or anything I mean can you imagine the, the, the clash that <laughs> happened there? I mean, I just, you know, so that is the idea behind jazz is it's these African rhythms with European harmonies. So what's happened, though, is it's been watered down through the education system, through people that don't, haven't learned from masters. They've just been copying and imitating off of records, basically. And, and then they go around and they teach other people and then, so then it just gets degraded, and now everybody thinks that the cor the correct way to play is with a metronome. But you know, if you listen to the best albums, like anything by Count Basie, anything by Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker, you know, try to put a metronome to that. Well, turn turn it on, put it on your CD player, press play. The the hardest swinging albums, like Count Basie, for instance, let's take that as an example, and try to get a metronome to stay with it, and you will not be able to do that because it's the the groove has got so much depth and intensity that it does fluctuate and that's that's what makes it so that's what gives it its depth you know um so yeah and that's not coming from me that's coming from mike longo who spent 16 years studying with dizzy gillespie who was who is known for being the best rhythmic player if not the best all-around player in jazz you know now for your song silverbird was that used or was that recorded with or without a metronome? That was recorded without a metronome, actually. That one, yeah. I T played the drums because it was a simple drum beat. And then I, I think I laid a scratch guitar down and then played the drums and then played stuff on top of that. Tell me, how would how would this song have been altered had you been forced to use a metronome on well, that song? Well, that song, it probably wouldn't have sounded that much different just because that song, because of the way that the time feels in that song probably would have worked out okay with a metronome but um you know i don't know to me it's not as interesting when things are 
perfect like that. It's boring. Or, you know, sterile. What type of qualities do you like to see in a well-trained producer? (laughs) (laughs) The same type of qualities I like to see in a well-trained animal. Any kind of dog or... (laughs) I mean, no. It can sit well? (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't make a mess on the rug? This guy that I worked with was so amazing because he was able to... I I think I kind of... um, Well, he was able to just be very flexible and open-minded. I think that's probably the best thing uh, for a producer. I mean, I don't have that much experience working with producers or anything, but I've produced some stuff myself, and I think that the most important thing is to just be open-minded and to do what serves the music best, you know? So ideally, like, as a musician, uh, as an artist or whatever, I think that the goal is to just get out of the way, you know, like to remove to remove as much as of Tim as possible from the the music that's already there and the producer's job is to help make that happen and um a good producer will be able to well I guess for me what what made Chris really good to work with is he was able to just keep the momentum going and he was able to keep things positive even when they were difficult and then he was also able just to like go with the flow and change things up and be open-minded even when something maybe seemed awkward to him like the metronome thing or whatever you know what type of qualities have you seen in yourself after producing music for other musicians well what do you mean do you feel like you've improved as a musician maybe your writing skills are better maybe yeah i guess i i did this album with these guys the thompson gunners in long island who are these really cool guys and it's kind of like rolling stones thing and and that was I really loved doing that because they were really open to the idea of just playing everything live and not you know not like spending 10 days on the drums or something you know like that just and and editing and doing that just like kills it to me so they it was like get in a room and I just basically press record and they recorded their songs you know and my role there was I I was pretty minimal I mean I just tried to stay out of the way and like but if there were certain things like certain songwriting elements that I heard that I thought could be improved or something, I I told them what I thought, you know, and then and then so that that did help me actually. It helped me to see how you know how to record a band and and how to play as a band and and that I personally like that sound. That that that's the sound that I like. You know that live that live sound. How much of like the experience like producing. Thompson Gunners did you think of when you were dealing with your producer Chris? Uh, I didn't think of them that much but I've been thinking about them a lot now because you know I, I do like the way this album's coming out and it's being mixed right now that's one song the Silverbird song is done but the other ones are still being mixed and um, it sounds cool but I've also since that time I've gotten a band together to play these songs live we're playing our first show on September 21st at Pianos in the City How do you get there? Uh, it's in the city. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly where it is. Via what train? Uh, you could take the six train. Okay. Yeah. To Houston, I think. Is that a stop? Yeah. Maybe. I can't, I can't remember. But anyway, um, what was I saying? Yeah. So I I wanna I wanna do that. Um, I've had I've had a I've written a bunch of songs actually since the album. So we're gonna go into a studio. And we're just going to record everything in like a day or two and do it all live and to tape. 
because um, F Pro Tools. But how many minutes of new songs have you got? Since the since the album I just did? Yes. Um, let's see. I probably have like five five new songs, five or six new songs. What are these, like two or three minute songs? Yeah, probably like three minute songs, yeah. Okay. Now, your song, With the Spirits, it's pretty trippy and reminds me a bit of your days in Recluse years ago. Mm -hmm. What was your muse for this song? Um, John Frusciante, actually. Go on. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> he I don't know, I was like... Um, just listening to his stuff a lot, and it kind of inspired me because I know he was he went through this period where he did the um, the these like albums where he was just like really strung out and laying on his living room floor and just recording to a cape, uh, tape cassette, and it was all like uh, free association kind of stream of consciousness stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. And he felt in an interview I saw he said that he felt he was communicating with spirits or whatever. Yeah. So then I th I kind of just was like inspired by that and I've always felt like I could like there's spirits and stuff going on around, you know. Yeah. Good spirits or bad spirits? Um well, I don't know if it's so much spirits but like energies, you know. Different energies definitely. And there's definitely good and bad energies for sure. Where do you pick up on these like when you're walking around the city, when you're like yeah, I don't know. Just certain certain people, certain like environments, you can feel it, you know. Yeah. Do you feel like um being in certain environments whether it's like good or evil, like feelings, it can be like a quick muse to writing another song? Yeah, definitely. Well, like all those experiences are really good for songwriting, I think. Like I mean, you don't get inspired just by being comfortable or sitting around watching TV, you know? <laughs> like, inspiration comes from having experiences, I think. That's what I was saying before. Like, I don't ever really go, okay, I'm going to write a song about this. I just experience life, and then, it, like, some, some, like, maybe a month later, it'll come out in a song, something that, some experience I've had or something. So, I think that, yeah, I, I'm trying, lately I'm trying to be as uncomfortable as possible all the time. <laughs> How do you as manage to I pull can. that off? Well, it's hard. I mean, it just means like I just mean that in the sense of, you know, making sure that I I push 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 myself to the limit of somewhat, you know. Like yeah, because when I get too comfortable, you know, I get stagnant and I don't like that. So On that note, um feel like playing a song right now? Like on guitar? Yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right, this is a song called Smile.
Tell me about that song. Uh, I don't really know. That was another, that's just kind of a song that I just wrote kind of recently, and I, I don't know, I like it. It's kind of, it's kind of nice. What were you doing when uh, you came up with that? Uh, sitting at home, playing the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> no way, man. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. I don't know, that came in sections, I guess. I played the first part, and then I fooled around with the second part and then I didn't know like I didn't know how I felt about it but then I sent it to the producer guy and he really liked it and he thought it should be on the album this was after we recorded the album and I just had recorded it on my setup at home and he um, I sent it to him like that and he he just mixed it so that it'll it'll be on the album so. I see now too tired to sleep it's filled with like massive distortion it's quite a trippy song oh yeah can you paint the picture of how this song came to fruition do you can you play that song um nah i can only play the two songs okay. you hooked me up with um yeah that i wrote that song a long time ago and that um that distortion part is just um one of my favorite things that i've done i think I see. But it doesn't do much good if you can't hear it. <laughs> no. Would it be possible to play that one? Not on, on acoustic guitar? Yeah. Is it uh, impossible? I think so, yeah. I actually really haven't played that song in a very long time, and it would be really hard to pull off because I don't remember how to play okay. it. <laughs> well, tell me about the equipment that was used on the Silverbird Sessions. Well, we recorded at um, Cowboy Technical in Williamsburg, which was a cool venue. And um, it was, they have a lot of really nice stuff there. I don't know much of the technical stuff because I kind of just stayed out of that. I didn't want to turn that part of my brain on while I was doing this. So Chris dealt mostly with that. But they definitely have a lot of really nice stuff there. Really nice, like, outboard gear and vintage things. Did they use Pro Tools or something else? They used Pro Tools. We did some stuff to tape, which I was really happy about, because it really does sound better, in my opinion. 
Now, are you more of like an analog person? Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely becoming much more of an analog person, like almost completely. Like I don't even want to bother with the computer. Because it's like when you start putting things into a computer, then you're cha- you're completely changing the energy when you think about it. You're taking something that used to be electricity, and now it's just becoming ones and zeros, you know? So a lot of people would say, well, I bet you couldn't hear the difference if I played the two back and forth, you know? And you might be right, but I don't know. Just going into it, it's kind of like... Also, it's it's just not... It, it's a less... Uh, it's It's so easy with Pro Tools, you know? It's like... You just make a mistake and just go back and fix it. And like, the worst thing is all the copying and pasting and cutting and editing, though. You know, like I'm yeah. really not a fan of that because because there's something like in a performance, there's a linear, there's like a steady stream happening of something yeah. happening, and then when you just cut it or move it or change it or like loop it, I don't know, it just like feels feels um unholy is there any possibility for you to go like super old school and be able to record something like the way it was recorded back in like the 70s well yeah that's what i'm gonna do with this with the band that i'm in now um how are you gonna pull that off silverbird band i'm gonna just find i gotta find the right studio actually to do it at but i'm just gonna like book two days or a day and just do all the songs in a day i mean and just record them like and just do it all right to tape and then that's it, just like live. Now, tell me about this tape. Is it like eight track or? Um, yeah. Well, I think that the the one I used in at uh, Cowboy Technical was a two track, but they also have a twenty four track tape machine. But you know, it's like two inch reel to reel tape. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't reel to reel like some of the best way to record something? Yeah, I I think so. And a lot of people, I think, are starting to agree with that. I mean, like, you know, vinyl has definitely come back and everything. And the tape, the real, the reel-to-reel tape thing is, um, there's there's just something to the sound. There's just like a, it's just got, like, character. It's got vibe, you know, that you don't get, I don't think, when you use a machine. Is there anything more superior than using 24-track tape? Just playing your music live and not even recording it ever. <laughs> because, <laughs> because that is kind of the purest way to play music like have it never be sometimes I hate playing songs because I just don't like recreating it like I don't like playing them um, over and over again I, I just sometimes I just want to create something new every time that's why I love playing jazz and I also I like I like playing experimental music I play an experimental band called the Zoftag Cuties and we just like Every time, every time you sit down to play, it's just something completely new, which is really refreshing for me. But it's sometimes like it's really fun to play, and I love playing that. But it's not as fun to listen to, I don't think, for people. <laughs> How big is the lineup in uh, that band? It's just two piece. It's just me and a drummer. His name's Cliff. He's a really great friend of mine, a fantastic drummer, and he plays drums and has like a looper that he uses with a uh, trumpet sometimes and I play guitar and just make noise basically tell me about some of his characteristics as a drummer he's really great he has that uh, three-dimensional time thing like he's got a lot of he's just like a badass dude like he's just got he swings really hard and he uh, he has 
a, just a great feel and a great pocket, and like I really love playing with him. Yeah. Now, how did you make his acquaintance? Actually, believe it or not, on uh, Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's the only good thing I've ever found on Craigslist was Cliff. I was looking for, I was just looking to play jazz with people uh, like maybe three summers ago. And I put something up online and he like, responded. And then we met up and we played and we just hit it off really well. And now we have a jazz band that's pretty successful out in Long Island. Like, we just played a, a, sh- a big show at. Um, at this place called uh, the Huntington, uh, the Cinema Arts Center in Huntington, which was really fun. Wow. Now, I guess, sidetracking a bit, any advice for recording artists on how to retain copyright ownership of their music? Uh, I would actually, I could, I don't know anything about that, I'll be honest. So if anyone wants to call in and give me advice, that would be cool. That'd be 973-655-4256. Teach Tim Barr how to copyright his music. Well, I have it copywritten, but, like, how to retain the rights when you're moving forward and all that. Like, all the more technical legal stuff I don't know too much about. Have you heard about um, any advice on obtaining a lawyer to move forward with, like, your music? Or is it, like... You're not even there yet. Um, I don't know. Like I, um, I haven't started thinking about that. I don't even want to think about that. I don't really care about that so much. If the time comes to where I'll need that, it'll just. I think it'll happen. You know. I just want to like put the music out there. That's it. You know. I feel like that's my job. Is just to like, just create the music and then put it out there and then play it and then you know, just leave the rest up to whatever happens, you know, people like it, then that's cool. If not, then that's okay too, you know, whatever. What have you learned about promoting music? Uh, promoting music is a pain in the ass, and I, I, it's not something that I like to do, really. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, I just like, I don't, I don't want to go around promoting myself. It's like we're in this, you know, we're kind of in this culture where it's like, it's like I, I just realized, you know, I mean, it's a necessary, it's kind of a necessary, it's a necessary thing to do, like, to a certain extent, but, you know, like, like I was saying, I, I just real I realized that for me, I just need to play the music, like, that's what I'm happiest doing, I, I don't really care uh, about being, like, being famous or, or, like, you know what I mean, or anything like that, like, I just want to, like, put it out there and then let it do its thing on its own, you know. Um, maybe I'll change my mind about that. I don't know, but I've never been very, very good at like, at like promoting or pushing my music. That's why it's helpful to have bandmates because they, they do that sometimes. Yeah, pretty much. You like to be just the main songwriter in the bands you're in. Yeah, kind of. I mean, father and son is like you know we we pretty much write you know, a lot of stuff together, but um. But yeah, with this with this band, I mean, I'm trying to I'm trying to be more conscientious of it, you know, and like do it. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm inviting people on Facebook. Does that does that count? <laughs> um, only if you use Twitter too. Oh man, well then I'm out of luck, I guess. And don't forget Reverb Nation, cause <laughs> you need that too. Yeah. What type of message? Or messages are you trying to bring forward with your music? 
Uh, no, none, no message really. <laughs> like, cause that would mean that I thought I thought about it first, and like I said before, I don't ever think about. I try. I really try not to think about. I try not to think. Period. <laughs> Thinking ah, just, nihilism. Well, Support that, man. Well, no, no, it's not so much nihilism. It's uh-huh. like, cause that is. I mean, that's kind of a. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. I don't know if I know enough about that to say, but uh, <laughs> but it's more just like thinking gets me in trouble. I mean, I just kind of, um, yeah. Um, what was the original question? <laughs> um, damn, I don't remember. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't think, Nick. <laughs> like I'm sorry, couple. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> We're like a couple of airheads. <laughs> Dude, that was an awesome movie, man. I love that. Wait, Airheads? Yeah, you I, know, with Brandon Fraser. I never saw it. Oh, dude, man, you need to see it. It's like about see it. this heavy metal band that, like, is in L.A., and they take over, like, a radio station with, like, machine guns and stuff. And then they get to play their song. Wow. And they're so obsessed with using a reel-to-reel, though, to play their song. They're like, dude, I That's can't play so the cassette, funny. man. The cassette is garbage, man. The reel-to-reel. You That's, don't understand, man. like me. Oh, man. <laughs> Wow, that's that's really funny. I guess it can get pretty pretentious pretty quick, but you know, whatever. Well, does it matter though? No, it really doesn't. If it's the truth, it really doesn't matter. Was this a cathartic experience writing this album? Um, a little bit, but it's frustrating too because I'm ne- really just never like satisfied with anything. So, I like that song Silverbird. I like how that one came out, but um. I'm really excited to be playing with this band. I really think we sound good, and, and I'm excited to see what happens. And I'm excited to record live with them, too, because, you know, I feel like some of the, the energy on the album is um, is got enhanced by having this this live band, you know? And I that, that energy, to me, is almost more important than the actual music itself, you know? Like some bands, if you, I mean, if you listen to their songs, they're really not that great, but there's just such an energy behind it that it makes it captivating or interesting so i think that um, having the energy behind the music is really crucial now with your music typically how much is like set in stone that can't be changed and how much do you say to yourself you know what this percentage of these recordings or these particular songs or each song i'll allow for some like improvisation um I'm like really open-minded to anything. I really try to be. I just know. I just know. Like I know when I when something is right and something is wrong for me. You know. So when it, I know that for my music. Um, so if anyone makes a suggestion in the band, I'm always like, let's try it, and then it's either yes or no, basically. Do you ever feel like some days an idea will be right and other days it'll be wrong? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Because a lot of times, like, you'll record something and then you'll think it's the greatest thing in the world and then the next morning you'll listen to it and you'll be like, that is a piece of crap. You know? Yeah. And then the other, it happens the other way around, too, sometimes, where, like, something, I'll be like, oh, you know, I'll just have some idea and think, like, okay, this is just some throwaway thing, but I'll record it anyway. And then the next day I'll listen to it and I'll be like, oh, I really like that, you know? So, yeah, you never really know. You never really know with anything, do you, Nick? I mean, <laughs> um, I guess I just, like, I'm trying, lately I'm just trying to learn how to stay out of the way, like how to not let my ego just destroy everything with negativity or 
whatever. What type of music comes out of negativity, though? Do you feel like you can come up with some really, really brilliant stuff? Uh, well, negativity, yeah, can be a really good source. I mean, look at all, like, a lot of bands, I think, it's, you know, get their inspiration from quote-unquote negativity, maybe. But, but I mean it more in the sense of, like, like, really judging things so that to a point where nothing is good ever that's just that's just really um counterproductive and and silly you know like you know what i mean like that kind of level of whatever perfectionism is not it's not a good thing it's it's just um it's like the ego in reverse or something so now like with the uh time you spent in the studio how many different takes were there for each song? Well, that's the other thing, too. Like, like that's why I also want to record this live album, because I want to do everything like one take. Like, the first take is just yeah. kept, even with the mistakes. Or maybe two takes. <laughs> three at most. <laughs> and then after three, it's just dead, you know? But but, but four is, is almost <laughs> as much as three. <laughs> I'll give it five, man. Give it five. Yeah, but, you know, like, because that that energy is there like that first take is always the take that's the take we always go i always go back to i always go back to that first take even though there's like there's maybe tons of mistakes in it so i'll record a take and i'll be like there's tons of mistakes in that so let me record it again and then i'll end up recording something 25 times and then i'll finally get it right and then three days later i'll listen to it again and i'll be like let me hear that first take and then i'll just end up staying with the first take <laughs> even though because because I, mistakes don't matter like you know if you sing a little out of tune or whatever or you hit a wrong note but if the intention behind it is there if there's like you know that inspiration that happens in that first take you can't fake that and that is that that to me is the thing that makes me want to listen to albums more and more those are my my favorite albums the ones i always go back to are the ones that you can tell where it was just like they were there's a moment happening there there's an inspiration it hasn't been killed by this sort of clinical let's get everything perfect let's make sure everything's you know cut and pasted and snapped to the grid it's like no man just play the music like music is not is music is a spiritual thing you know it's supposed to be played from your heart and if it's not played from your heart then it's just bs and it's you know there's so much music that is like that now it's just um it's kind of disturbing. Now, what song on the album took the most takes? Well, a lot. Of, some of the songs that we did in one take. Um, but come on, name drop some. The, of them. Well, like um, we did one song called "Surface Life." There was a lot of takes on that because I just vocal vocally, I guess. I really want to get that right because it's kind of a pop song. Yeah, but in retrospect, I might I might regret that though. How many takes have you gone through so far with it? <laughs> You're killing me, Nick. <laughs> Don't get into Chinese <laughs> democracy. <laughs> uh, maybe like a baker's dozen. Ah, <laughs> uh, too much is never enough. Um, state your name and please don't curse. Mm -hmm. Oh, Jack. Hi, Jack. 
What's up? Oh, uh, I want. Am I on air? Yeah. Yes, you are. Oh, hey! I just wanted to give a shout out to the campus bus drivers that are currently playing in ninety point three because there are actually a few of them, and I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, campus bus drivers. Yeah. Yeah. Keep driving. Keep playing ninety point three. WMSC. Good stuff. All right. Have a good night, guys. Thanks. Any question? Oh, for the no, no, I'm good. No, I just wanted to say what's up and stay strong and ride on. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Have a good night. Well, thank you. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. Well, what are your feelings on random callers? I think it's great. I don't know. Was there, is there some kind of bus thing going on? Well, yeah, like the thing is at Montclair State University, WMSC 90.3, um, all the um, bus drivers are supposed to be playing the radio station. Oh, uh, okay. Because, I mean, it's like supposed to be promoting the school and everything kind of like works hand in hand. Like, you know, the Montclairian is like the school newspaper. There's various different student government organizations that work hand in hand. And everybody tries to um, put forward the same energy to create success into something new. Cool. But anyways, um, what was that song that like you're really going nuts over again? Where um, which one? What do you mean? The say the one you say that it's a bit poppy. Oh oh yeah yeah surface life. Yeah. What what is that about? Um. It's kind of about, like, uh, well, I guess the album is called Surface Life just because I think that um, the life that we live is a bit of a surface life in the sense that I think that there's many things happening underneath this plane of existence. and that, um, But so much of our focus is spent on the surface here. So the song's kind of about that. It's a little bit abstract, though. Some of the lyrics are just don't make any sense. But. What do you think of Beyond the Surface Life? What do you mean? Should I, is that what I should name it? <laughs> no, no, I, I'm just thinking, like, yeah, you have the surface life, but what's beyond that? Yeah, well, I don't know. That's kind of the thing, you know. I think hopefully we find out when we die. I was thinking you were going to say, yo, I'll, I'll tell you that when I write a new song about <laughs> that. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Well, kind of, I guess maybe music is the thing for me that's beyond this. Meditating, too. I get a lot out of that. I feel like uh, like I tap into something that's maybe beyond these, the surface of just, like, this physical world that we live in, you know? Tell me about some of the music that you get when you're thinking about these things. Well, when I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about meditation or when I'm meditating, I'm thinking about that I'm not I'm trying not to think about anything like we talked about before. That's kind of where that comes from. So, it's difficult to write music when you're meditating? Well, no, I mean I don't th I don't write music when I'm meditating. What about Cause lyrics? Cuz I'm meditating. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, usually when I'm meditating, that's basically all I'm doing. Damn. Yeah. But I mean a lot of inspiration can happen from that though you know like from meditating afterwards 
were there any songs from the Silverbird sessions that well, you can speak of? Well, I've been meditating for a long time, so I think that I mean it's one of the it's something that's like greatly influenced my life, definitely. So, um, yeah, I think that it's affected my music for sure. Meditating. How do you feel like your music would be different if you didn't meditate? It would probably be more frantic. Well, some of it's really frantic now, though. I mean, if you listen to Father and Son, yeah, it's pretty frantic. But um, it'd probably be more like Recluse was, because I don't think I was meditating in that time. Yeah, you. I I like the um, kind of like you could go off the wall at certain times aspect of Recluse. Yeah, yeah. Well, that the new band's like that too, kind of. What new band? Like Silverbird? Silver yeah, Silverbird. Now, can you um, tell me all the names of the people involved in Silverbird again? Yeah, sure. Um, Corey plays bass. Dan plays guitar. Jacob plays drums. Tim plays guitar and sings. Now, like, how many different influences do all of you guys have, and how do you, like, deal with that? Well, I don't know. I mean, you'd, you'd have to ask them if they were here. We can make believe that they're here, maybe. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that it's not that hard just because, like, for now, I'm writing all the songs, so I kind of know how it goes. But the thing is, like, they all come up with their own parts and everything, so that's cool. Do you think, um, when do you think the time will come when you be open to uh, letting them the other members of the band contribute songwriting uh never no <laughs> i'm kidding no i i mean i would be open to that anytime i mean i we have to get this show together and we've only started sort of started playing recently so i'm just focusing on that and getting those songs so i want to get a certain amount of my songs done first i guess but then yeah i'm totally open to it dan the guitar player is a fantastic songwriter like amazing so yeah i, would, I hope to do some of his music at some point how much improv can you allow for this first show? Uh, as much as possible, hopefully. I, yeah, I really like that aspect of it. But we're, I mean, we're doing it like just kind of like a rock, in a rock way. So we have the songs, and then there's some sections here and there where there's like a guitar solo or a jam kind of thing. So now, that's, that's about the extent of the improv. You pretty much agree to what improvisation. Improvisation, Improvisation, you can allow uh, ahead of time, right? Yeah, well, we kind of agree that this is where it's going to happen, but then other than that, no, like anything can happen. Okay. Yeah. And um, about how long do you uh, allow for improvisation to happen? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're experiencing technological differences here. Uh, I don't know. I like to imp the. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. Say the improvisation <laughs> is usually. <laughs> I mean, it lasts, you know, anywhere from like two minutes to two minutes. <laughs> usually about two minutes. Yeah. Of improvisation. Yeah. And I believe uh, your set's going to be forty-five minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Probably thirty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes. 35 to 45.
do you ever worry that you'll have so much improvisation that you'll be able to perform less songs? No, no, I don't really worry about that. I don't mind if we have to play less songs. I'd rather there be improvisation. Okay. Now, who are the other bands on this bill coming up on the 21st? I don't really know, actually. Uh, I should probably know that, but I don't I don't really know. Hmm. Yeah. The, the person who's managing this project is the booker at Pianos, so she... She got us on there, which is cool. It's cool. It's good to be playing our first show on a Saturday night at Pianos. is pretty cool. For you, what is the worst night of the week to perform? Uh, uh, well, I mean, I guess it, there's... Uh, it, well, a lot of the venues in New York, you know, it doesn't really matter because you, you're kind of expected to bring your own crowd, so... But obviously the weekends are better because people can come, usually. It's more likely that they'll come. And about what point in time do you feel like most uh, seasoned uh, musicians graduate beyond pay-to-play? I'll tell you when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I see. Can you explain the pluses and minuses of being a headliner versus an opening band or giving main support to the headliner? Uh, well, I guess if you're giving support to the headliner, that's kind of cool because you get to play to an audience that's not your own, hopefully, if they show up um, before the headliner. But then if you're the headliner, you know, like people are there to see you, so usually the energy's better. They both have their perks. Now, like, let's say there's a show with like three to five bands, or like four or five, what band would you say is in for the worst time? Like what slot? Yeah. Uh, maybe the first the first slot. It's kind of the... It's good to get the crowd warmed up a little, I think. Do you ever worry that like, if a show goes on too late, that um, actually the headliner will end up... Uh, in a losing position because like let's say they're going on at like midnight or 1 a.m. like tonight like on a... <laughs> um or 2 or 3 a.m. yeah uh it depends i don't know that's a good question it depends i played a, i played a bunch of shows that late i don't know i think people stick around usually i'm playing that i'm playing tonight at like 12 or 1 with father and son i thought you were playing like 12 on the dot maybe we are you know more about this than I do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, Tim, yes. at what level of a band's career is it appropriate to stop using crowdfunding tools like Pledge Music, Kickstarter, and Indiegogo? When you can afford it yourself, I guess. <laughs> or, I mean, I don't. Uh, maybe actually, maybe I take that back. Like. Well, I guess if you're if you're making money a boatload of money doing your music, like define a load of money. Man, I don't I don't really know. I guess if you're like a, a band that is fully self supporting just on their own music, that's cool. Yeah, but think like let's say you could start up a campaign to raise like ten or twenty thousand dollars. Think about like. You could get some really cool producer books in interesting yeah. studio. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't know. Maybe there's no limit. Maybe it'd be weird if the Rolling Stones like did a Kickstarter. 
<laughs> or, or like Paul McCartney. That would be kind of messed up. But it's cool with Ringo Starr, though, right? Yeah, Ringo's cool. Ringo can do anything because he's Ringo. <laughs> wow. How did you feel about Spike Lee doing a kick... St- well, no, no, I think it was Indiegogo or something like that to uh, finance a movie. Who's Indiegogo? Uh, well, I think Indiegogo is that campaign where, like, even if you don't reach the goal, you get to keep all the money. Uh, uh, it was... Uh, who did that? Spike Lee did that? He's a, acquainted with one of those. I know um, The yeah. Last Vegas is with Pledge Music. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. Who cares what these people do, you know? I mean, it's because it's not, you know, it. it's not like they're forcing anyone to do anything. It's like if you want to contribute to Spike Lee's movie, then you can do that, like if you're a fan of his or something, you know. But I'm, I'm not going to give Spike Lee any money. No. Okay, well, on that note, let's hit some PSAs so I can uh, switch the recording CDRs. Sounds good. We're back with uh, Tim Barr, singer for Silverbird. It's... 8 p.m., and you are listening to WMSC 90.3 in Upper Montclair, New Jersey. This is Japan Nick of Japan Nick's Rock and Metal Pandemonium, continuing the second hour of my interview with Tim Barr. Now, Tim, I believe uh, you were up for playing another uh, acoustic song. Okay.
Now tell me about that song. That song's called Lift Me Up and um Yeah. That's uh It's on the new album? Yeah, it is, yeah. Now, for you, was this an I played, easy that, I played it on piano on the album actually. So, and there's going to be strings on it too. Now, did that take a lot of takes for you? to get through or was it kind of like a one take thing that was kind of that was one take we did that to tape so that would probably be one of my favorite things because it's the most natural so yeah it was just a piano to tape i played the piano and then i did that to tape and then i sang it to tape so it's all taped up any advice for people picking out pianos to record with well usually i mean like you just got to play the one that's in the studio you know so I just used the one that was in the studio. I really don't know much about pianos. Oh, I see. Well. <laughs> On that note. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a cool piano, though. It was a friendly piano. Now, how many years do you have um, studying the piano? Uh, like, none, basically. I mean, I studied a little bit in school, but... I'm not a very good pi- I'm not a good piano player at all, but um, I think this song comes sounds pretty cool on piano, so I just learned it. Now, did you record piano and your vocals at the same time? No, no, I did it. I did them separately, probably because I'm not the greatest piano player. But also, it was it's just you could kind of focus more on on your vocal if you're doing things separately. Do you feel like with the piano you can do things? on it that you can't do with a guitar? Yeah, actually, it really changed the song a lot. It made it, it sounds kind of like way different on piano. It doesn't sound like that, blue, it doesn't sound very bluesy. Kind of, so. If it takes away the blues, what does it add? I think it's just kind of that, I, I think it just added like kind of a cool texture to the album, like, and it just sounded um, maybe a little more interesting, actually, to me. But it was also like the producer's idea. He like he. I mean, I was just fooling around with it on piano, and he really liked the way it sounded. So he he suggested I do it that way, and I just said okay. Now, do you expect to work with him again? I hope so. Yeah. He yeah. He wants me to come over to London, uh, again and record with him, which would be really really fun. So I hope to be able to do that. Typically, like um, for him, what is like his home base? He's in got, London. He's got a studio that he owns in London. He's recorded a lot of good bands. I mean, he worked with this bo- uh, band called the Smoke Fairies. Have mm. you heard of them? No. Yeah, they were they were signed to Jack White's label. Um, From the White Stripes. Yeah. Love that band, by the way. You like them? They're okay. Damn, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so. 
he he's been working on that record and then this other record called Matthew and the Atlas. That's what he's doing now. How many days did you work with him for your album? Ten days. We were ten days. Is that the longest you've ever worked on an album for? I think it is. Yeah, like consecutively. Yeah, it was because it was pretty intense. It was like twelve hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was great. It was so cool. I love I love working like that. So what did it feel like that? first day just like going back to your house and you have another nine days of 12 hour days to look forward to it felt amazing i really i never i didn't want it to end actually i got totally totally sucked into it and i was like felt really sad when it was over because it's just so fun i mean you're just like you can do anything you want you got this awesome studio and like just recording this stuff it was really cool now like, what was the type of stuff that you did in the studio that did not make it onto your album, but you look back on fondly? Uh, well, because, like, we were kind of strapped for time, like, I mean, ten, we did ten songs in ten days, and I played all the instruments, so we were really busy. So pretty much everything made it to the album. <laughs> but, um, I mean, obviously some songs took more than one take yeah 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 well some songs like were just more meticulous you know like we just had to work on it more and fool around with it a bit figure out exactly what parts i was going to play did you have situations where like you were almost like arguing with yourself over like oh i like this take because it has this yeah absolutely. characteristic but all the yeah a lot that happened a lot yeah. give me an explanation on one of the tracks um like well, I'm trying. Let me try to remember. Um, um, I guess there was just like one, one guitar solo thing that I couldn't, I couldn't decide which one I liked more. But now, I mean, I said, I just said that, yeah, that happened a lot. But now that I'm thinking about it, it actually didn't happen that much because I, I really tried to be like um, trusting of the producer of Chris. Because, it you know, if you're going to work with someone and you decide that you like their artistic vision, then you do have to kind of trust them. So, you know, if I was ever stuck on something, I'd be like, Chris, what do you think? And he would be like, well, I think this one's, and I would just usually be like, okay, yeah, I agree. You know? Like, pretty much, would you just be, like, asking his advice on arrangements to uh, make the flow of the song better, or... Yeah, well, the first day we kind of worked on that stuff. I played all the songs, and we, but we didn't change too much. I was pretty happy with most of the arrangements. You know. From your original vision before stepping into the studio, and afterwards on the tenth day walking out of the studio. Yeah. How much percentage of your original vision was intact? That's a good question. I I. Um it's like you know you're always like grasping for this thing that's a little bit out of your reach you know that's yeah. my experience and so so it was, there was some things that I felt were really great and like I really was happy with and then some things that I felt felt short fell short you know but it also it's hard to tell some when you get really absorbed in it sometimes you don't even know what it start you just start not being able to know what it really sounds like you know so 
taking a break from it for a little while, not listening to it all, and then listening to it again, that's when I was able to see, like, you know, what I was really happy with and what I was not as happy with. Did we get a chance to play Stay With The Spirits yet? No, you didn't, but yeah. Let's fire that one up. All right. takes did that song take for you that song i actually did myself that like that uh it's gonna be out on the album i think but that i did all, all by myself in my room basically were there any songs from the Silverbird sessions that you're not putting on the album there might be there might be i, I don't know i need to listen through to the whole thing and see what i feel is like really matches what i what i want you know what I want to convey or whatever. I guess, you know, like, what I'm just trying to convey is, like, uh, is just whatever is really true to, my, like, myself. Like, whatever feels... It needs, to, it needs to really feel correct for me, you know, to want to put it out there. Now, you did have ten different songs yeah. recorded. Yeah. 
could you imagine what tip what is the amount of material like about 25 30 minutes 10 songs yes yeah i guess maybe maybe a little more than that maybe like 35 minutes were there minutes. any songs that were above 3 or 4 minutes um I actually I don't I don't think so. I think pretty much they were all like three, four minutes long. Yeah. Now tell me, what were some of the more easy songs to get through? Well there were some songs that I just did like well there was one song, I'll play it, uh called Love You Forever, which was um just I just played it. It was that was one of my favorite things that we did because it was like really late at night and we were done for the day, but we just threw up two microphones and Chris played piano, and I played guitar and sang it, and we just banged it out right there, like all in one take, <laughs> to the tape machine, trusty old tape machine. For you, is that like a first in the years you've been a recording artist, or have you had similar memories like over the years? Uh, of doing stuff like that? Like, yeah, uh, where it's just like... Five minutes and then bang, you're like done with done. it. Yeah, that doesn't happen too often, though. I don't really have too many memories of that happening. Tell me about that day. It was good. It was a nice day. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a nice sunny day. But it was like late at night, you know, so we were all kind of cracked out and stuff. And now, like for the days that you recorded, would you be starting at like twelve? p.m. to 12 a.m.? Yeah, basically, pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, tell me about how often you take breaks in that situation. Um, we would take breaks really not often at all, maybe for lunch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really intense. Like, But that's the thing about music is it doesn't feel like, it did not feel like 12 hours at all because we were just... I mean, for me, you know, once I get into it, like, I, I don't want to stop anyway, so. It wasn't like, it didn't feel like work. I never felt like, I never felt like music was, was work, you know, like, ever. It's fun, right? Well, I wouldn't call it fun either, though, because it's not, it's not, well, I mean, sometimes it's fun, but sometimes it's, like, horrible. It's excruciating or whatever, you know, like, when things aren't going well or or just it can be music can be very frustrating and really challenging and stuff but um i think that uh i think that it's just music it's it's not work it's music what was the worst day to get through from the silverbird sessions i'm trying to think there was like a there was maybe like the sec maybe the third day when there was just a little bit of still an uncertainty between chris and i of how we worked because we'd only we still of had only just met each other and everything you know so we uh but then we got through it you know kind of had a talk and everything and, and it was good and then after that it was pretty smooth smooth sailing ahead did you like order pizza to the studio or did you like bring your own food so you didn't even leave the building during well, we, those 12 hours we had an assistant whose name was kyle who was fantastic and he he would get lunch and stuff tell me about some of these Epic lunches. <laughs> uh, there's some like super awesome roast beef sandwiches and tw- uh, Twinkies. 
How come there are no Twinkies today? Um, are you, are you all... It doesn't seem as fun anymore now that they're back in stores. It seemed exciting, like, going onto eBay and, like, wishing I could, like, charge, like, $100 for them and, like... But they're not really back in stores, though, right? Oh, they are, man. But it's not the real Twink. It's not called Twinkie. It's called something else, though. No, no, they're for real, man. Where it's actually called a Twinkie? Yeah, go to ShopRite. They're on the shelves. Is it is it just a different company about the name? I don't know, man, but... Really? Somebody sold their soul, and now Twinkies exist again. Oh, that's awesome. That's good news. Now, how often would you need, like, breaks just to have water? <laughs> there was water ready. <laughs> there was water. <laughs> water wasn't an issue, uh, really, too much. Yeah, we had water. You know, we'd go out into the street with, like, a bucket and fetch the water <laughs> from the well. <laughs> Bring it back to the studio and... But, yeah, we were really fortunate in that in that regard. There was always water flowing. With your stamina, how long <laughs> can you go just singing in the studio before you need a break? That is a great. That's a great question, Nick. Um, I it it depends. I can I can go for a while. Okay. <laughs> um, but. It, it well there was some there was like one song where I screamed on it and that um you know tell me that song that was a song called uh to the country and um I really liked that one what was that about um it was about this time that I went to the country <laughs> and you know there's like a girl involved and it's one of those kind of stories you know I see. Yeah, there's a little, there's more to it, but I don't know. Like, it's on the album. You can listen to it when it comes out. Um, but there, I was. There's a part where I'm screaming a lot on that, and that uh, that kind of tapped me out for a little while. My voice was pretty shot after that for a couple of days. Now, how many songs did you scream on? Just one? Just that one for this project, yeah. It was kind of more, you know, like Father and Son, there's a lot of screaming that goes on. This is this was more my mellow, mellower side, I guess. What do you do to recover your voice after you've been screaming? Uh, not, don't sing. It's bad. I mean, I probably shouldn't do it the way that I do it. I mean... What did you do that, like, you felt like you hurt your voice? Well, I didn't really hurt it so much. Well, I guess I did hurt it a little bit, but I, I kind of just lost it, you know? Like, I was hoarse. You know when you go to a show and yeah. you scream and then the next day you don't have a voice. So. Have you ever, like, decided, you know what, like, there's a really important concert coming up for me, so you know what, I'm not going to talk to anybody for any reason for, like, two weeks? I have not. I haven't. Well, I actually, maybe my first Recluse show, I, I kind of kind of did that. A little. I used to get paranoid that I was going to get a cold before shows, so, but I don't, now I don't. I don't worry about that. But what do you do, though? You might get cold. <laughs> I might get a cold. Yeah, well, it's never really happened. I've never actually had a cold before a show, not going to lie. I think I was a little sick one time, but, you know, you can kind of just you just power through it or whatever. You know? If Billy Joel can do it, then I can do it. Yeah. I see. <laughs> Are you a big Billy Joel fan? Uh, Billy Joel's okay. Yeah. I'd rather uh, have John Cougar Mellencamp playing. What have you been listening to lately? 
I guess probably just rigor mortis. <laughs> um, random stuff, I guess. Also, just some of the bands that I've had to uh, prepare for on my show. Obviously, the Bedata Ladies. I really like that. Cool. Um, I remember Saturday going to this really trippy concert with them. Pharaoh. Spanned tombs. They're on relapse. Oh, yeah. How was that? It's amazing. Um, it was all killer, no filler. Cool. Like, everybody that was on stage belonged on stage. It wasn't like, oh, you know, those people were stupid for throwing out, like, $200 for pay to play or whatever. No, like, er everybody belonged there, and it wasn't, like, a mismatched show. Cool. By the way, like... How often do you see at concerts where there's, like, really, really inappropriately uh, booked shows where there's, like, a, some major hard rock bands and, like, metal bands, and it's just, it's like combining ice cream and mustard or something? Yeah, that, that's really annoying when that happens. How often do you see that happening? It happens a lot. I guess. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know. When when I when we went on tour with Father and Son, it wasn't too bad, you know. The shows were pretty good, they were pretty well matched for the most part. What do you do when you're in a situation like that? You would. I mean, what you just play, you know. What, what else can you do, really? Is there any way to um, learn ahead of time to somewhat prepare, maybe a particular set list? to uh, better make an impression on the audience there, or is it just like... Yeah, I guess you could do that. I'm a fan, I'm a fan of uh, not making set lists and just playing whatever you feel like playing next. You know? I think that's a really good way to do things, because then you can, just, you can just go based on what's happening in the crowd or whatever is happening. Yeah. Okay. And I guess um, beyond that, you're going to be in New York City tonight? With Father and Son, yeah, playing in, somewhere in Brooklyn. And then Silverbird will be playing on September 21st at 8 o'clock at Pianos. How many more Silverbird shows can you announce at the moment? There's another one on October 18th, a CMJ show. At, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Webster Hall? No, no. At this place called Spin. Oh, <clears throat> Which is like a ping pong club. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, October 18th, what day of the week is that? I don't know, actually. Yeah. Let me see. My cell phone will know. Hold on. What types of things are uh, you planning for that special CMJ show? Uh, probably just play naked. Okay. I've always wanted to do that. It's, I mean, playing music on stage to me almost feels like just being naked. Anyway. Now, tell me about this club, Pianos. Like, how big of a capacity is that club? Uh, I don't know. I think it's a few hundred people. A couple hundred, yeah. What's the biggest venue you've ever played for? Um, 
I played at Nokia Theater one time. It was like a benefit show, and there was a couple thousand people there. Wow. Yeah. How long ago was this? That was in 08. With Recluse? No, it was with uh, this organization, this band called Crazy James. That was in for a little while. Ryan. Ryan was a part of it, too. I see. Yeah. That was fun. Slash was there. We played with Slash. <laughs> he um, was on stage at the time? Yeah, I was playing next to him. I never told you this story? I probably forgot it by now. Yeah, yeah. It was a benefit show, so they had all these celebrities there, and we played I Want to Be Sedated, and Slash was playing right next to me. Did Are you interact at all? Yeah, yeah. So what did he have to say? <laughs> he, uh, he was a uh, he was cool. I mean, it was just kind of a funny thing because the song was just kind of like a um, it was just chaos. <laughs> How many people were like, on there stage? Was like, there was like wait, there was like hundreds of people on stage. No, not literally. Mm -hmm. There was way too many people on stage. What, like and thirty there, or fifty guitarists? No, no, no. There was probably like ten? ten people on stage. And then there was two drummers and like three or four guitarists and like all these singers. And I don't know. Someone counted off the song before I think we were ready or something. And so it was, it was just really funny. <laughs> I think everybody was playing something different. And Slash, I remember when the song ended, Slash just kind of looked over at me and the other guitarist who was standing next to him and just kind of chuckled, you know? Because it was so ridiculous. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. How many other songs do you remember from that night? Well, I played one of my songs, which was pretty cool. And then... Um, what song was that? It's called New York City, Rest in Peace. Ah, yes. You remember that song? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that, that's it. But, I mean, the day before was really interesting because there was a rehearsal with Tom Morello and Slash and all these other guys, and it was just, like, a group of us in this, re like, rehearsal room with these guys, and we got to see them playing, like, five feet in front of us, like, just basically a private show, and Tom Morello and Slash were really going at it. What did you learn from them? I don't know, you know, it's like I can't say a specific thing, but whenever you have, like, an experience like that or you're around people that are that, like, seasoned or, you know, successful, I guess it, it rubs off on you a little bit, like some something does. What did you something feel rubbed that, off? Well, just something about that experience. Just to have that experience is pretty unusual, so it's kind of a cool, cool memory, you know. I can't, I don't know specifically anything. How often do you think back on that night? Not that often. I mean, it's just kind of like a novelty thing, you know? It's kind of just a fun thing. It's kind of just a cool story. I see. Well, on that note, um, can you throw out all the uh, internet addresses for all your projects? Uh, yeah, sure. So the Silverbird one would be, um, you know, facebook.com backslash Silverbird songs. And then also is um, the SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash Silverbird songs. Yeah. Now, how do you spell Silverbird? Um, S-I-L-V-E-R-B-I-R-D songs. Awesome. Yeah. And about, and what are the URLs for all the other uh, musical projects you're acquainted with? 
then there's Father and Son, so Father and Son Band dot com, and then there is uh, <coughs> uh, what was the other one? Uh, the jazz one. Yeah. So that one's the Bar Sinister Jazz Group dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Any final words? Thank you, Nick. It's always nice to see you. Yeah, much appreciated. 